I know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? 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 I think you can in Europe. Welcome to Whelmed, a podcast about science news that neither overwhelms you nor underwhelms you. It will simply whelm you. My name is Rorschach Jones, and I'm coming to you kind of live from underneath a kind of tent I've made on my bed with my doona, because the sound is better that way. And first up, I just want to say that whelmed is a real word. I did Google it earlier in the day, and as a verb, the Oxford Dictionary defines it as to submerge, engulf, or bury. As an example, a swimmer whelmed in a raging storm. However, I shan't be engulfing you with science news, like the aforementioned swimmer was engulfed by violent waves, leaving an unsuspecting morning jogger to suffer years of PTSD as she came across his waterlogged body days after he went out for that fateful swim. No. The purpose of this podcast is to navigate the waters between overly sensationalised science news and the hideously boring news to present you with science news that makes you go, huh, alright, now why am I doing this? Well, if you're like me, and you're an avid consumer of science news, then you're sick to death of hearing about gravitational waves. Yes, I know, they're so important and amazing and violent and the pinnacle of accomplishment for humankind and and all that, but I'm just so sick of hearing them, hearing about them. Equally, I tire of hearing about any breakthrough, any breakthrough, such as literally anything to do with cancer research. The only science news that... I seem to get, is the really big and the bright and the game-changing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it does sweep a lot of other fun, sometimes hilarious, and definitely human-relevant science under the rug. I want to share some of those less overwhelming, more whelming stories with you, and in the process, I want to highlight the power of the scientific method in uncovering truths about the world, in answering previously unanswerable questions. Even if those questions are a little banal, and even if no one asked the questions in the first place, the power of science, such that it is, is that we can methodically uncover those answers using the scientific method. And I think that's beautiful. So I've had to dig into the archives a bit to uncover some good stories for you. If you read my Google Scholar browser history, you'd be more than a little... hmm, Well, I'm not really sure what you would feel looking at that history... It's definitely concerning, but in a way that is fun and exotic, I'd say. But that's enough prelude. Let's, let's hit that perfect Goldilocks ratio of satisfaction with some research that I found pretty goddamn compelling. I promise you, you won't burn your fucking lips on this one, nor will you catch a cold. It won't make your back sore, and you won't get scoliosis from it. It's gonna be just right. It's going to be whelming. In this episode, we're going to look at spoons. More specifically, how quickly they disappear. So let me set the scene for you. You're working late. Linda is being a terrific bitch and has you doing mindless busy work, but on a really tight deadline. You've just told your significant other that you won't be back in time for dinner, and all they did was text you back, lol. So you're tired. You're grumpy, and you know that you're getting no love tonight, so you sigh, 
except that you'll be stuck at work at the computer for another few hours. You hate Linda a little bit, but that's alright. All you need is some instant coffee. So you head to the break room with your instant coffee and your mug, you set them on the counter, you boil the kettle, you open the drawer, you reach in to grab a teaspoon, but alas, there are none. So you scream, you break your mug, you hide a poo in Linda's desk, quit your job, make it home for dinner, have a cheeky midlife crisis, and move to Rwanda, where you now build houses out of shipping containers, gum, and hope. Well, I don't know about you, but this has happened to me before. Except it wasn't spoons, it was forks. I won't get started on that long tangent, but I swear, when I moved into this group house, we had two dozen forks, and now we just have four. That's literally one for each person that lives here. It's a fucking nightmare. We have like 80 spoons, but only four forks. <laughs> has this ever happened to you? Well, if it has, feel consoled that it has also happened to a whole bunch of researchers at the Centre for Epidemiology and Population Health Research in Melbourne, Australia. Infuriated by the fact they could not dispense accurate amounts of instant coffee and raw sugar into their mugs, they decided to study the phenomena. So a research plan was hatched, and in lieu of swift and terrible vengeance, they would, with the power of three epidemiologists combined, determine how quickly teaspoons go missing. In addition, they also set out to determine whether this rate of disappearance could be attributed to the type of break room the teaspoon lived in, or the value of the teaspoon. The thinking there being that more attractive decorative teaspoons are more highly respected and would therefore definitely be less of a target to shifters. I have just realised that you cannot see me, so I have to tell you I did the air quotes gesture for shifters, because that's the word that they used. It's a very technical study. So the researchers bought and numbered 54 stainless steel teaspoons, as well as 16 teaspoons which were of superior quality. Then they distributed them around the centre throughout the eight tea rooms, taking care to put more into the tea rooms that are more frequently used to mimic real life. And then they counted and tracked the teaspoons every week for five months. Pretty simple stuff, but let me tell you, the results will, will definitely shock you. After five months, 56 of the 70 teaspoons had been flogged. That's 80%, guys. That's huge. And this is the main finding of the study, that the half-life of your average metric teaspoon in a workplace is just 81 days. That is, it takes 81 days for, teaspoon, for half of the teaspoons to permanently disappear. This is compelling shit. Teaspoons were more likely to disappear in more communal tea rooms, which had perhaps greater traffic. The half-life for communal rooms was 42 days, compared to 77 days for satellite break rooms, which are used by specific teams in the centre. A particularly whelming finding is that the value of a teaspoon does not affect how likely it is to get stolen, so put out your diamond-encrusted teaspoons and feel safe. But if that's not enough, because there is more, the researchers established that, based on these numbers, 
to maintain a practical amount of teaspoons in the centre, that is, two for each of the 140 people employed there, 252 additional teaspoons would need to be purchased every year. That's fucking insane. I mean, (laughs) who pays for that? In fact, if the annual rate of teaspoon loss per employee was applied to the entire workforce of the city of Melbourne, which is about 2.5 million people, approximately 18 million teaspoons go missing in Melbourne each year. Laid end-to-end, those teaspoons would cover over 2,700 kilometres, and more impressively, impressively, they would weigh 360 metric tonnes, which is the approximate weight of four adult blue whales. So upon confronting their colleagues with this data, all righteous and knowing, (laughs) I know I would be, some of the teaspoons returned. Five were recovered from, air quotes, miscreant hoarders, Linda. Four were returned from far and distant places within the Institute. They didn't say where, I assume the bathrooms. And no one admitted to stealing a single one, even, even though over half were still missing. So what happened to them? Well... The researchers conducted a follow-up questionnaire with 94 respondents, of, so that's 94 of the 140 people working there. So 38% admitted to having stolen a teaspoon before, with the majority citing work as the main place. 76% said they had not stolen a teaspoon from work in the past year, and most people agreed or strongly agreed with the statement, stealing teaspoons is wrong. It's very admirable, I definitely agree. And nearly everyone was very dissatisfied with the teaspoon coverage in the Institute. So these are some pretty interesting results, and if we can take them at face value, I guess we would assume that it's the 18% of people who admitted to stealing a teaspoon from work who are the cause of the missing 56 teaspoons. So immediate future research direction, who are they, why are they shit people? I mean, is it Barry or Linda? Is you know, is it Barry from accounting trying to snaffle the silverware so he can buy back his wedding ring that he had to pawn because of his gambling debts? Or is it Fran, who has mild narcolepsy, but it's under control? Well, in trying to answer this phenomena, the researchers do suggest a couple of possible theories. The first comes from Garrett Hardin's classic essay, The Tragedy of Commons, which I'm sure you have all read. In this essay, Hardin describes the destruction of commons. Commons are grazing land open for all local cattle herders. The destruction of commons happens when individual herders graze extra cattle at the commons and at the expense of the community. If every herder takes the same approach, eventually the commons is completely destroyed. The researchers posit this tragedy of commons applies to the teaspoons. In this instance, the commons are the communally owned set of teaspoons. Teaspoon users make decisions that their own utility is improved by removing a teaspoon for their own use, and that everyone else's utility is only reduced by a fraction, because, after all, there's a whole fucking stack still in the drawer. So as more and more teaspoon users make this decision, the commons are eventually destroyed. And this correlates well with their results. It correlates with the results that teaspoons took longer to disappear in those satellite tea rooms that are used only by specific teams and that they disappear more quickly in the communal areas. The second theory, my favourite theory, takes a page from Douglas Adams. And they say, 
somewhere in the cosmos, along with all the planets inhabited by humanoids, reptiloids, walking treeoids, and superintelligent shades of the colour blue, a planet is entirely given over to spoon life forms. Unattended spoons make their way to this planet, slipping away through space to a world where they enjoy a uniquely spoonoid lifestyle, responding to a highly spoon-oriented stimuli, and generally leading the, the spoon equivalent of the good life. Mm. Beautiful. So in terms of future research directions, the researchers also say that satellite tracking could definitely be employed, as could microchipping, though these would only be useful if the spoons were indeed still on the Earth. So in conclusion, teaspoons are hot property, their availability is under constant assault, and their displacement leads to unsafe practices in measuring volumes of instant coffee, such as using forks and knives, or maybe we just can't even measure the coffee very well at all and we could over-caffeinate. That'd be a nightmare. The cost alone is justification for the importance of this research. Well, I hope you found that thoroughly whelming. I certainly did. And what I loved about the study was how the researchers picked a really banal topic and then studied it intensively, but also elegantly, to find results that are definitely applicable to our daily lives. In the process, they also use their expertise to poke fun at their own discipline and indeed the whole scientific institution. This is definitely evident in the way they suggest outlandish recommendations. For example, we suggest that the development of effective control measures against the loss of teaspoons should be a priority on national research agendas. It's very cute, and it's a very whelming study. If you want to find it, it's called The Case of the Disappearing Teaspoons, authors Megan Lim, Margaret Hellard, and Campbell Aitken. There's even a picture of a teaspoon in the article, and let me tell you, she's a looker. So thank you for listening to the first episode of Whelmed. Again, I hope you found it whelming. Next time, I'll be looking at why people use Tinder. Spoiler, it's obvious. Catch you then.